We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the people and made our ancestors flourish. It was by their sword that they won the, it was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did they, nor did their arm bring their, them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God, your, whose decrees victories, victories for Jacob. Through you, we push back our enemies. Through your name, we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the neighbors. The people shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. All this came up upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not yet been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secret of the heart? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. On the 20, uh, well, on Boxing Day 2004, a tsunami hit Indonesia and it hit Sri Lanka and India and all that part of the Indian Ocean and over 230,000 people were killed. Why did God allow that to happen? Well, some say it was God's judgment, his judgment upon Muslims and Hindus. It's a simple equation, isn't it? That bad things happen to those who deserve it. AIDS has been called the wrath of God against homosexuals. The equation again, bad things happen to those who deserve it. On YouTube, there's a testimony by a Christian lady who was born missing the bottom half of her left, her left arm. And she was in the supermarket one day uh, when she was young and a lady asked her, what happened to your arm? And her response was, well, I was born this way. To which this lady in the supermarket said, then there must be somebody in your family who has sinned for you to be like this. You see the equation? Bad things happen to those who deserve it. But why does God allow me to suffer? I mean, why? You may ask yourself, why am I suffering? Why did I suffer a miscarriage? Why did I suffer 
problems in my marriage? Why did I get cancer? Why did I lose my job for no reason? I'm a Christian. I'm one of God's people. And you ask, what did I do to deserve this? And you see nothing in your life that can give you a good reason. You haven't made unwise decisions. You're not disobedient to God. And you're not a bad person. And yet you suffer and you suffer without any reason. Do bad things happen to those that deserve it? Well, this psalm, friends, speaks to our Christian experience. It speaks to our struggles, to our pain, our weakness, our difficulties, and tragedy. And it speaks to us when we have the feeling that God has forsaken us, turned his back on us, even though we've faithfully followed him. So let's find out whether God believes that bad things happen to those who deserve it. Come with me to Psalm 44. We're going to start in Psalm 44, so keep that open, keep your finger in the Romans passage, and we'll look at that at the end. As we're at Psalm 44 here, as we come to it, it sounds like a psalm sung after victory. Look with me there at uh, verses 1 to 7, and I'll just paraphrase them as we go through, but have a look. And listen to what God has done for Israel in the past. We have heard with our ears, O God, your fathers have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand you drove out the nations. Look at verse 3. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring victory, but your right hand. That's what brought victory. Verse 4. Your decree, you decree victories for Jacob. Verse 5. Through you, we push back our enemies. Verses 6 and 7, I do not trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies. God's people always sang psalms of praise to God after battle, when they'd won. It's much like a footy team that sings when their team wins. Now in 2016, the Cronulla Sharks won the premiership. First time, 50 years, I've been waiting that long for it to happen. And I was sitting in front of the television down the coast by myself. And when they won, when that final hooter went, I went nuts. And I started to sing their theme song. You probably know it. I'm sure you do. It goes up, up, Cronulla, the boys in the black, white and blue. And I sung. We sing in victory, don't we? But Israel didn't just sing after victories they also sang in defeat. And when we get to verse 9 of this psalm, the tone changes dramatically. The mood swings from victorious and confident trust in God to being humbled. The psalm recounts a shameful and unexplainable defeat that they've experienced in battle. Israel's asking this very question, why are we suffering? Why have we suffered this defeat? Why have you done this to us, God? <clears throat> because Israel knows that God is the author of their defeat. Seven times there from verses 9 to 16, it says, you've done this to us, God. Look, look with me from verses 9 through to about 14. You have rejected and humbled us. Verse 9, you no, no longer go out with your armies. Verse 10, you made us retreat before our enemies. Verse 11, you gave us up. <clears throat> Verse 12, you sold us off as slaves. Verse 13, you made us a mockery to our neighbours. Verse 14, 
you made us a byword. Israel knows that God is in control of all things, including their defeat and the one that they've experienced. They understand that God has done this. And God seems to be against his people. For some reason, God has withdrawn his hand of protection and the psalmist and God's people are crying out and asking the question, why? Their confidence in God has been shaken by this unexplainable defeat. Now, I know what you're thinking, because I think it. They've clearly broken God's commandments, haven't they? Good things happen to good people. God blesses those who obey him and curses those who don't follow him. Bad things happen to bad people. But it's not true. Israel's done nothing wrong. Look with me there at verse 17. All this happened to us, though we had not forgotten you or been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. See, God's people are saying, we've done nothing wrong. We're at a loss to know why we've suffered this defeat. Why has this happened to us? Sure, if we'd, if we'd forgotten God, if we'd broken his commands, worshipped other the gods, we'd understand why we're being punished. Look there at verses 20 and 21. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Well, the answer is, of course he would. But they haven't forgotten God's name. If they'd been following other idols, other gods, or rejected God's covenant, that is, broken the commandments uh, deliberately and ignored them, they could understand their defeat. And they're not claiming to be sinless and perfect, but they're perplexed. The defeat and suffering has come for no apparent reason. God's people are saying, they've faithfully followed God, we've faithfully followed you, we've served you and sought you, we've worshipped you, and you've crushed us. God's people have experienced an unexplained, dark suffering and most frustratingly, they're not given an answer as to why it's happened. There's just no answer given as to why God has abandoned them in battle even though they've been faithful to God. They've experienced a dark, unexplained suffering. And friends, we as Christians, you and I, experience dark unexplained sufferings in our life we were ministering at randwick up until recently uh, and at randwick we were very close to the, the children's hospital at prince of wales and from time to time we had people stay there because we were within walking distance of that hospital uh, just last year we had a young couple stay with us for about a week a christian couple whose only child their oldest child I think it was their only child at the time, had a brain tumour. She was down in the hospital and they were down there waiting with her, getting her treated, not knowing if she was going to die. Well, she died last week while we were at summer school. Why? Why such suffering? Why this dark, unexplained suffering that has hit a young child and a young, committed Christian couple? It's tragic. Why does it happen? was no answer and we see it time and time again as christians don't we in in christian circles god's people suffer for no apparent reason 
And we know that the equation that bad things happen to those who deserve it is not true. Bad things happen to everybody, don't they? Even God's people, even Christians. And God's complete... And in God's complete rule over everything, his sovereign rule, as we call it, he brings hardship to people, to all people, including God's people. And the question we ask, just as the, the psalmist asks, is, Lord, what are you doing? And friends, there's no specific answer in most cases. All we get is what verse 22 says. Look at verse 22 with me. Yet for your sake... We face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Somehow, the suffering that God's people go through is for God's sake. And that's where the psalmist leaves us. Asking why, getting this answer that the suffering is for God's sake, and that's where it leaves it. And friends, it's vitally important for us to understand this, that Jesus also asks questions of God, questions of why, and gets no answer from God. On the cross, you might remember that Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me, God? And there is silence. There's no answer. When you, are, when you or I receive no answer to the question of why am I suffering, you're in no deeper pit than Jesus was himself. He was in a place where you and I will never be and he asks the question, why, God, have you forsaken me? The fully good Lord Jesus, nothing bad in him is forsaken, abandoned by his father. God, the father, turned his back on his son. And this is the sinless son of God who came on a mission from his father to seek and to save the lost and he's asking the question to God, why have you abandoned me? Bad things are happening to a good person. And this is Jesus at the climatic point of saving people on the cross, God's faithful servant experiencing ultimate suffering and asking God his Father, where have you gone? Why? And he receives no answer. Now how do you get to the bottom of this knowing that Jesus is both human and divine, and this is part of the plan between the Father and the Son. I don't know how you get to the bottom of that. But what I do know is that when Jesus cries that out, that's how he truly felt. He was truly asking that question. God, why have you abandoned me? Where are you? And friends, that's how we feel from time to time. Just like Jesus felt. Why, God, have you forsaken me? Why am I young and suffer so much? Why did my wife die young? Why has my family treated me poorly? Why the miscarriage? Why the loss of job? Why these dark, unexplained sufferings? And it's vital to remember that we have no answers to these. And Jesus got no answers when he was in his dark place of suffering, in a place that we will never be. And here's the key. Here's the key to understanding the right response to God when you suffer. Jesus trusted his father at his word. <coughs> Jesus had been given all he needed to know to go through that suffering. Jesus knew his scriptures. 
and he had all he needed to have to trust God through his suffering. See, verse 22, when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is a psalm that tells people and tells Jesus that those who trust in God and are faithful to him, God will protect and look after. (coughs) Excuse me. In Psalm 16, God promises that the Holy One would not see decay. Jesus held on to these and many other promises, even though in his darkest hour as he cries out, he receives no answer. And the reason why Psalm 44 starts by remembering the victories that God has given his people in the past is so that when they come to this time of dark, unexplained sufferings, they will be comforted knowing what God's character is like. He is faithful to his people. He is faithful to his promises. He promised to remove his people from Israel. He did that. He promised to put them into the promised land. He did that. He's won victory after victory for his people. They knew God had been faithful in the past and because God's character doesn't change, they remind themselves that God still faithfully loves his people in the present even though they suffer and even though they have no answers to that suffering. Well, friends, the psalm finishes with the people or the psalmist asking God to wake up. Look there at verse 23. Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Wake up, God. Help us. Don't reject us. Rise up. Save us, Lord. The psalmist goes to God in prayer, throwing himself upon the loving kindness, the unfailing love of God, upon his character that is known from the past. Look there at verse 26. Rise up and help help us. Why? Because of your unfailing love. Because of your loving kindness, because that's what you are like towards your people. The logic of the psalm goes like this. God, you've helped us in the past. We need your help now. You're not helping us now. It seems like you've abandoned us, even though we've been faithful to you. So please help us, because your character is to be loving and merciful towards your people. Well, friends, the question for us, though, is does God remember us? And it brings us to Romans. Romans chapter 8, which we had read. If you'll flip there now, that's where we're going to finish in the sermon today. And in the middle of this amazing passage, Romans chapter 8, in the middle of this amazing passage, Psalm 44 is quoted. It's an amazing passage that tells us what God is doing for Christians who were once his enemies, sinners rebelling against God. God has done amazing things for them. And Romans 8 details what God has done for his people. Keep it open there in front of you and just have a quick look as I skim through it. Verse 1, there is no condemnation now before God for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 9, the spirit of God dwells in you. Verse 28, all things work together for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. Look at verse 29, God has foreknown you. That is, 
He's known you personally since before the beginning of time. He's called you to him for salvation. He's forgiven your sins, that he's justified you. He will make you holy, that is sanctify you. And he will bring you to heaven. He will glorify you. God's won every victory for you in Christ. In verses 31 to 34, uh, we see a picture of the courtroom of God the judgment of people and Jesus defends you as a forgiven person because Jesus has won for you forgiveness of sins and eternal life through his death and resurrection. It's what Jesus has done for you with his father. Verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, nothing in all creation will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ Jesus, God is for us. He's done everything for us to bring him into his presence for all eternity. He loves his people. That is those who submit themselves to follow Jesus. And yet knowing that God is clearly for us, Paul, who wrote Romans, knows Christians suffer for no apparent reason. Look there at verse 35. They suffer in famine, in persecution, in nakedness, in danger, in sword, with the sword. And even though God's for you, Paul knows Christians suffer without reason and will cry out, why? So in Romans 8.36, Paul quotes Psalm 44, verse 22. For your sake we face death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. What's the answer to why Christians suffer? Why do Christians suffer? Why does God allow the Christian to suffer? Well, Romans 8.36 and Psalm 44 verse 18 say it is for God's sake that we suffer. God's people suffer for God's sake. What does that mean? Well, God's people suffer for God's sake so that God will be honoured or glorified. Now, we don't know specifically why God allows us to suffer because, because of the sins and incompetence of others or why we suffer illness and dark tragedies for no apparent reason. But we do know this. As God's people, we suffer for God's sake to bring glory to God. So somehow through our sufferings, we're to respond to God in a way that glorifies him, that honours him, that causes his name to be lifted up and honoured. Now, I reckon when we're suffering, it's hard to believe Romans 8.28 there, which says that we know that God works all things for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purposes. Now, how is my suffering a good thing? If he's working all things for the good of me, how's my suffering a good thing? How's my suffering a good thing? How does my suffering glorify God? How can my sufferings advance God's purpose? Because I hate suffering. I don't know about you, but I hate suffering. Well, the answer in Romans 8.29 is that God's purpose for you through suffering, through all events of life, is that you be conformed to the image of Christ. That is, that you start to look more and more like Jesus and that you respond to God and you respond to events in your life like Jesus responded 
to his father. And that includes how you respond in suffering. God's calling you to respond in suffering the same way Jesus responded in suffering. Now, friends, I will tell you, that's generally the first thing from my mind when I'm suffering. I whinge and I complain. But God reminds us that we are to be conformed to Christ's image and to respond to our suffering in a similar way to Jesus did. And how did he do that? Well, it was Christ who trusted in God's character and promises through all the sufferings of his life, his opposition, his rigged trial, the floggings. And even when he was forsaken by his father on the cross with no answers given to his question, he trusted that God would be faithful to his word and to his promises and ultimately deliver the Christ, that is God's king, that is Jesus, from all of these sufferings. And God was faithful. He delivered Jesus from all his sufferings by raising him from the dead and raising him up to his right hand. And by trusting God, Jesus glorified God. He didn't retaliate. He didn't talk back. He trusted in the words that his father had given him through the scripture. Christ suffered for God's sake to glorify his father. And when he was raised from the dead, God the father's words were seen to be true. He kept his promises. Your job in life, my job in life, God's will for you and I is that we glorify God by how we respond to him in all circumstances. And friends, whinging and complaining like I often do isn't Christ-like and doesn't glorify God. In fact, it shows that I don't believe God's good and faithful to me. Responding to sufferings as a Christian is to continue to trust yourself to God and his promises. Suffering makes us more Christ-like, which is good for us. And this will stand in stark contrast to the way the unbeliever suffers, who curses God. Friends, your response, if it's a Christ-like response, will honour God. Well, Psalm 44 is quoted here to remind Christians to always look to the past to remind ourselves that God is faithful in salvation. He regularly saved his people in the Old Testament. Friends, you need to be reading your Bibles to know what God is like. He regularly saved his people in the Old Testament, so gain comfort in that. But more importantly for us, look to Jesus at the cross. He delivered Jesus over to death on the cross, abandoned and crushed him for our sins and raised him from the dead, just as the Bible said would happen, so that we could be forgiven of our sin and be put right with God. God's done all of that back then, 2,000 years ago. He delivered his son from death to life and the promise is that all who submit themselves to Jesus and follow him will be granted forgiveness of sins, God's spirit will be placed in you, you will be granted eternal life and all of that as a free gift. And he saved you for his sake. By saving you, God has revealed his character, his love, his kindness, his mercy. Friends, he delights to have you as one of his children. And given he's done that for you in the past, through your sufferings gain confidence now in life that nothing in all of creation will stop God finishing what he has started and bring you into his presence for all eternity. That's the hope we have. 
and has been guaranteed by what we see in the past. Friends, the call of the gospel is to keep trusting Jesus. When 17, in 1876, Horatio Spafford wrote a hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Horatio had lost his four-year-old son in the Great Fire of Chicago in 1871. The fire also ruined him financially. In 1873, he decided to go with his family uh, across to Europe, his four daughters and his wife, and they were to set off, and a couple of days before, uh, he had some business he had to attend to, he was a a lawyer, Uh, and he said, you go, family, and I will come on the next available ship. The family went, the ship sunk, and he lost his four daughters, only his wife survived. Well, he caught up with them over in Europe, with his wife, sorry, and they had another three children, of which the youngest son died of scarlet fever at the age of four. A tragic life. And their Presbyterian church regarded their tragedy as divine punishment upon them. Can you imagine the suffering? But not in Horatio's mind. Because in his mind, in his suffering, he knows a God who loves the brokenhearted, a God who comforts the suffering and will bring his people into his presence for all eternity. How is it with your soul, Horatio? The question was. Well, he writes this in his hymn. Whatever my lot, God has taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. And friends, in that hymn, he has perpetually glorified God's name since it was written. For God's sake he suffered. Through his suffering, he has glorified God by a Christ-like response. Friends, God has not fallen asleep. Bad things do happen to good people. Although there is no guarantee of answers when you yell out the question why, Psalm 44 encourages us to look back and remember God's been faithful in the past in saving us at the cross. We can trust him in the presence and God will be faithful in the future, raising us from the dead like he raised faithful Jesus into a glorious new future, just as he's promised. And all of this is for God's sake. Faithful people trusting Jesus. It all brings glory and praise to God.